My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is a professional fighter since 1998. He is a pure martial artist. He's an actor, a commentator, an entrepreneur and investor based out of Chicago. He's lived in Miami, LA, New York, and traveled the entire world. He's done commentating for Fight Pass, on, uh, for Shoot on Fight Pass, Bellator, 1FC, and is also an actor who's been on Days of Our Lives, CSI, As the World Turns. He's coming out with a new movie soon called Ask Me to Dance, which should be released shortly. And he's probably best known as the co-host of Human Weapon on the History Channel. He's the host of the outstanding podcast, the Jason Chambers Podcast, and also slightly was named one of the most eligible bachelors in America by Extra. So we call you the uh, the Mario Lopez of jiu-jitsu because you don't seem to age, dude. I was watching the episodes the other day. You still got great head of hair on you. You're looking young as oh, ever. Thanks. Um, board of Directors for a Cancer Research Institute known as the City of Hope, uh, a national medical center. He's a former contestant on Fear Factor founder of Apex Sports Agency, former pro fighter with 10 submissions, five knockouts, and also most impressive, a brown belt under Eddie Bravo and a black belt under the amazing Henzo Gracie. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Jason Chambers. Man, that's a mouthful. Holy shit. Look how we didn't have to do that more than once. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of stuff on there, man. You cover a ton of bases, dude. I've yeah, been listening it's, to your podcast. It, it, it's great. You know, I get to wear like the, the, the jack of all trades, master of none t-shirt everywhere. So it's so just still trying to find the niche. See on paper, it looks good. Like, oh, you have so many diversified interests. Like I just can't find what I'm good at yet. That's the problem. Hopefully it's you know, a podcast. It, it's interesting that you say that because your podcast specifically is, is very similar to mine. We've had a lot of the same uh, guests on and stuff, but I hear people talk a lot about how, like I'll get people on and they'll do the podcast and say, hey, you know what? You, you're too broad. You, you, you need to really niche down and find something. You can't have a real estate guy and then a jujitsu guy and then a this guy and that guy. But, you know, you do and it works and it's great. And I, I'd love to hear more about that because exactly like you just said, you feel like you're a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. But you have a black belt in martial arts. You have a black belt in other things. I'm sure you're earning it uh, physically and metaphorically and all these other things. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how the podcast came about while we're talking about that because uh, I love what you're doing there to me that I'm trying to do the same thing and I, I think it worked great. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit on a good topic and it's something that I've struggled with too, is that um, from a marketing perspective and I think here I'm reading another book right now. I read all the time. This is a perennial seller, another wonderful uh, book on marketing. I suggest you pick it up too. It's uh, about making like marketing and stuff that lasts. And um, you know, obviously everyone talks about being niche and being hyper niche. And that was something I struggled with because my interests are pretty broad. You know, I love cryptocurrency. I love jujitsu. I love fighting. Um, I love aliens. I love conspiracy <laughs> theories. I mean, so so I have a lot of um, uh, you know kind of a similar similar um, authors. Like I, I just had one of my favorite, my favorite author Ben Mesrich on. So like hey, we've been kind of all over the place, and that's one of the things. And I got a comment early on because when we first did the first crypto podcast, someone was like, "Stay in your lane." And I was like, "Oh, that kind of hurts. That hurts." And, um, you know, I, I, I did some research and you know what, um, I heard a very pointed interview with a guy that's a really well-known podcaster and his name eludes me, but he, he said, you know what, the way that I make my podcast is I don't focus on a niche. I think of it as a museum, right? Like you walk into a museum and every painting doesn't have to be for you, but maybe you walk in there and you go, oh, look, that sparked my interest, right? You took away something from there that was some value, you know, like, which I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. So I think my podcast is... At the end of the day, the reason I'm doing it is because I want to talk to people that I find interesting and compelling, whether they have great stories, whether it's a perseverance story, whether it's some business tips that can help people to make money, whether it's sports, um, something that I find compelling. And, um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to limit that to just being jujitsu or just being MMA, because there's first of all, there's just a limited scope. But, um, you know, like it's I think that, you know, just being able to have great people on 
that have really good stories to tell. And we have some episodes that we've taped that we haven't aired because I'm like, oh, that was fucking horrible. I can't, uh, like, this is painful. I'm talking to guys. I'm like, I don't know what I want to talk to you about. And that's a bad sign because, you know, if the more excited I am to talk to someone, the more excited you are, not only does it translate, but it also, like, it, it's, um, the, there's, a, there's a difference. If you watch my Ben Meserich pod, uh, podcast, which is coming out, I think, in Tuesday or Thursday, um, like, I was super excited for Ben. Like, I made a bunch of notes and all this stuff, and I was like, woo, and I was jazzed the whole time. So I was like a little kid. Then I have guys with like you my producer kind of forced on me like you got to talk to this guy it's interesting because of this i'm just sitting there like oh, why why are you here what, what are you doing so um but it's it's challenging so that's like the reason this kind of came about is um this wasn't sporadic i mean um I've been friends with Rogan for a long time and we don't catch up as much because he's been so freaking busy now. But I remember um, before he did his first podcast, he was doing video blogs with Brian Redman. And the very first podcast that they did, I remember watching that and he sent, and you know, like hanging out with Eddie and Joe and everybody. And like he sent Joey Diaz a mic. I think he sent Eddie Bravo a mic. And they were just, they had no idea what the fuck up. The podcasting was, there was like, I forget even the streaming. It was like Streamio. It was some weird streaming platform. It wasn't even on YouTube really. It was like, some weird podcast streaming thing. And um, I remember watching that and I'm just like, who the fuck is going to watch this? Like, who's gonna? Evidently the answer is everybody. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think that uh, it's easy to get discouraged when you do this stuff because there's just such a, a bunch of noise out there, right? There's so many people that are, that are doing podcasts. And not only that, but you have to think about like, how do you SEO title these? And who are the guests? And how long should they be? And what are we on all these different channels? <sighs> Excuse me. And um, so for a long time, like I wanted to do a podcast and I actually put the cart before the horse and like built out these really cool podcast rooms and all this setup. And then we couldn't get the functionality of like the like getting the syncing and back and forth and bringing people in. And, and um, this was seven years ago. And then we tried again like four years later and I was just really frustrated. And then it haphazardly happened that a buddy of mine who does headshots, Chris headshots, when you think headshots, think Chris headshots, he's going to appreciate that. Um, he he does, uh, he, he is part of his like uh you know, repertoire as he started getting into podcasting. And we did a few episodes just kind of like to see how it felt. And um, now it's become like a full-time four of us working on this thing. And we're committed to it for a bare minimum of a year. And we're trying to, you know, build it. And so far we just hit a thousand subs on YouTube pretty quickly in like two months. So uh, it's growing, man, but it's, it's a grind. That's awesome, man. You know, it's, it's interesting because you talked about the SEO and all the other stuff that goes into it. And obviously the, the two responses I get from most people when I try and battle them on exactly what we just talked about, they go, you know what? You're trying to be Joe Rogan. You can't be Joe Rogan. He, he can do that. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's not really where I don't assume I'm going to like have this crazy Spotify deal. But I also hear people talk about like, you have to get their attention. And for me, one of the things that kept me on your podcast that I think is super smart is the fact that if I listen to a real estate podcast and it's just hours and hours of real estate guys talking real estate stuff, at some point, I'm going to say, all right, it's been three hours of that. I need to switch mentally. Let me go listen to something on crypto. Let me go listen to a guy just talk about jujitsu. And yours kept turning the tides right at the right time. So I was able to get a little bit of everything I, I enjoy, but in like pieces that it kept my interest. So in a time where everybody's fighting and the attention span shorter than ever with TikTok reels and things like that, I think it actually makes more sense than niching down to be able to keep your audience because especially with what you and I are doing, almost every business guy that I talk to wants to hear and learn about fighters and almost every fighter that i talk to want to know about investing in crypto and real estate and ways to make money so i feel like they do sink very well into each other yeah well you know you hit on a good point like i mean um 
I tongue in cheek have said like this is like the joke. My people ask me like, well, what's your podcast like? Because I mean, some of the guests that I've gotten on um, were probably above the pay grade for having nobody else on yet, and got some really good people lined up. And I'm like, it's like Joe Rogan's podcast in terms of format, w- without the 120 million from Spotify. So, <laughs> so like in terms of that, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, it, like, and I think it's an unfair comparison because it's not like we're trying to be the next Joe Rogan. But if you look at like David Letterman, the Late Show, the Tonight Show, there's there's a there's a formatic there's a the systematic you know, the, the, what makes people different is the conversation that you're going to have with me is different than the conversation that Vinny's going to have with me. Then, so like that's what the that's not necessarily trying to be Joe Rogan. It's just trying to. I mean, for me, uh, I just happen to have because Joe's a good friend of mine. Like a very a lot of the similar interests. We both fucking love fighting. I met Joe doing Fear Factor. And then became friends with him through the jiu-jitsu community, through Eddie Bravo and stuff, and then became really good friends with him and hung out with him a bunch at the comedy store and, and, um, and, and watched his, his podcast blow up. And that's very inspiring. You know, I think that the, one of the bigger things, I don't know if you read Gary Vee at all, Gary Vaynerchuk, but um, one of the things that I found to be very um, prolific was just to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. You just got to be authentic. Because what I noticed, too, and I do this a lot, and I'm a big business and SEO and marketing guy, and I love, I love, like, I have so many, um, you know, like, my hands in so many areas. And what I've found is that you just have to kind of just just fucking suck it up and do it. I mean, Gary, Gary V, who everyone knows now, you know, he said he put out thousands of pieces of content before anyone ever heard anything. And not, not to be redundant if you know the story, but so he started doing wine and he went on when he started to do his family's wine business and anyone that tweeted about wine, anybody he responded to for 10 hours a day, for eight, seven days a week, for years, years, you know? And then he started to build some traction that way. Um, there's, a, there's a, you know, John Anik I just had on the show. He said he sent out 300 demo tapes. 300 demo tapes. And he got, before he got this, uh, you know, a little bite from, uh, from ESPN while he was uh, smoking weed on his couch. And that's the same thing. You know, we hear these overnight successes that are really just, really, it's just a battle of, like, I truly believe that perseverance is, uh, overcomes talent. Um, I think I have very little talent and a lot of perseverance. So hopefully that, um, that, that holds true. No, I agree with that. You know, John Alex, a great example of the same thing I was going to say about you is when you talked about SEO and all these things, when I started doing the podcast, I didn't even know about mics or any of that stuff. And then you start to learn stuff and then you can't really unsee them. So stuff like even I used to just post something on YouTube. Now I'm like, no, 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 there's SEO titles and there's things and it, like it all makes sense. So there's so much that goes into it which is why I think a lot of people think they're just gonna record something that all these people are gonna listen to it. But because you came from an analyst and a commentator background, how much did that help you to realize the importance of being prepared for your guests and really having that professional side of interviewing people? Because it, it was a very big learning curve for me, which I, I, you know, I didn't even realize until I started. The more I talk to people, I'm amazed now when they come on and there's just no preparation or no anything for when they're interviewing these guests. Like you said, even ones that are out of their pay grade, it's like yeah. this person came on and talked to you. You don't even know how to pronounce their name. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. You know, I think that um, I've been lucky in a large capacity because the two loves of my life were always stage and cage. I mean, even when I was I had my first fight in 1998, and I was still doing like theater, and like I went to New York just so I could study acting, and then I was um, did the conservatory programs. And I was training at Henzo's, and the way that I kind of um, made ends meet instead of getting like regular jobs was like taking fights. So I think I've kind of always grown in this like the outgoing personality, hosting space, the commentary commentary stuff, 
does make you do a lot of homework. Um, I think that like it's easy to get lazy, and sometimes it's it's even easier for me if I know the guest really well and I know like like you know um, is a lot of the background and stuff. I think the challenging part is not asking the questions that everyone else is going to ask. How'd you do this? Why do this? So trying to find the questions like what are the most challenging uh, things that you faced with this, or doing like digging in a little bit more because um, you know I think that. Uh, that's probably the most most challenging aspect of it, um, but yeah, like like SEO and all that stuff. Like people don't realize, like no matter what you're doing, um, whether it's I'm the guy that manufactures this part of the can, or I made the microphones, or I'm hosting a podcast. Your job is to be a good marketer. I mean, you have to. You, you have to. I'm a fundamentalist in the fact that if you're a restaurant, the first and foremost thing is you have to have good food. And the second thing is, is you have to be able to like let people know about that, and that can happen two ways, right? It can happen organically, grassroots, which is what most people do. We just put out a bunch of content, we just put our heads down, we just keep doing it. And the other side of it is, is you focus the extra few hours a day on, um, you know, the marketing side of it and um, SEO and titles and like, you know, like I've had to do like a whole deep dig into like, you know, how do we, what, what, how do we word these? How do we, you know, what do we say? You know, how do we get like without making it clickbait? But also, like, so that someone feels like, what's the value in me clicking on this? Like, why? Like, right now, like, if if you title this Jason Chambers interview, only people that are going to watch this are people that really give a shit about my interview. But if we talked about, like, you know, like, strategies for success in marketing and business, that's probably going to birth to a wider audience, right? So I think that, like, those things have been kind of the challenge for me. No, I think that's great, man. And you do a great job with that. Even some of the things where, you know, obviously, I've talked to Matt every week for the last like 15 years and I still listen to it and it was like should you be wearing a gi and I'm like I'd love to hear him talk I've heard him talk about this but I always want to hear like where the conversation goes so I think taking some of those key points and like dissecting them from it keeps it attractive because again I was I was clicking through man saving all your episodes I gotta listen to this one I gotta listen to this one so you're doing it really well and one of the things I heard you say that applies I guess to business and jiu-jitsu and we'll talk about investing as well but um, you were talking to, I think it was one of the, the black belts from Eddie Bravo's that you were talking with and saying how, you know, the difference was a guy like Hoyler really is a top dog at his gym. And he doesn't seem to really be going and learning like the new things that like the white belts are doing or the new moves that are being reinvented. Whereas Eddie Bravo, although he's the top dog, he's out learning what the new guys are doing and he's always trying to expand his arsenal. And that's why his thing is just growing and blowing up. And I feel like talking to all these different guys in jiu-jitsu, in MMA, in business, in crypto is sort of what you're doing in that aspect that you're getting guys on and hearing what they're doing and hearing like the new thing here or the new thing there and, and really expanding your arsenal to all levels. And I'm, I'm interested to see for you now running a podcast, has that helped really expand and help your mind and your aspirations grow in business and in life for, for just the different guests and things to really Again, like expand and learn new things when you thought you had, you know, you, you learned it all and it peels out this onion of all these different levels and tree branches and things you can go down. Yeah, so I think I have a, a, an insatiable appetite to learn new things. I think that like um, a lot of times like, we put these like placeholders in our head, like I've got vacations coming up and a lot of the time it's the anticipation for the thing is more important than the thing itself. And it's like, it's looking forward to those things. And I know that when I'm, I have someone on the show that I'm gonna learn something from. I mean, I, it, it, my biggest struggle is, is I argue with like um, my producer occasionally, he to put people on the show and I'm like if I don't care I just don't want to sit down and talk to someone if I just don't have, if I don't have a genuine interest in what they're talking about otherwise it becomes like a paid advertisement spot for someone's like you know like their thing and um, so yeah I think that's that's probably the, the 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 biggest takeaway for me is like that I I'm, I selfishly want to learn more about these things like I like hearing the the jujitsu stories I like hearing um, things like that and and you know you brought up a point about 
Eddie, and one of the things I do appreciate about Eddie is that he does learn from his students. And I think, oh boy, what's his name? Jigoro Kano, I think the guy that invented judo. I could be, I'm, I'm butchering his name, but um, the guy that uh, in basically was the forefather of judo, he wanted to be buried with his white belt because he wanted to be remembered as a student. And I think that's really important in life is that we constantly go forward with that like, Every man is my math, is my teacher in some area, you know. And I think that it's easy to get. I know I get in that. I've gotten in that fucking that that headspace all the time. Uh, that um, I feel like I know better than people on certain aspects, and I have to like check my ego because it's usually in those spots where you learn the most. I love that, man. You you touched on a really interesting thing, and uh, uh, apparently a mutual friend of ours that I didn't know until this morning, Mark Turner. He owns a BJJ lab in Naperville, old Chicago Mark guy. Turner, with used to run I'm sure that I know him to see him, man. I've, I've lots of people Scottish, been choking me. Scottish guy, beard, black belt. He's uh, ranked number ten right now in uh, IBJJF. But he runs he runs a BJJ lab in Naperville okay. out here in Chicago uh, under Damian Maya. And um, every now and then they have like an open mat day. And what he'll do is he'll like literally have everybody that's on the mat show a move from black belt to white belt. And it's interesting sometimes because. I mean, a lot of the times they're going to show some goofy stuff, but every now and then the white belt will just show something that they saw on YouTube or some weird thing. And it's like, you know what? That's actually not too bad. You know, and, and I, I think having that open mind is is where everything expands. If, if everybody was closed minded, there wouldn't be this growth. And, you know, again, I've heard you say it, the athletes of 20 years ago versus the athletes of 20 years today, it all comes from the expansion and the growth and, and all those type of things. So I think it's really important. I think podcasts and good hosts who have that variety of guests really are helping pave the way for that growth. Yeah. Why did you get into podcasting? You know, initially I was traveling all over the country for like real estate stuff. And I, I loved it because I was also training jujitsu all over the country with different guys. And I realized that a lot of the people that I wanted to touch base with, it was always, oh, I'll call them next week. I'll call them a few weeks from now. And it just wasn't happening. And one of my good friends is uh, Billy Grassley from Biohazard. And he, he was talking to Jamie Josta on a podcast about how they used to see each other all the time when they were on touring and they were in their younger days. And then as they all got older, they really weren't able to connect because like when one guy's in the city, the other guy's on tour, he's with his kids. And he had said that Jamie Josta started doing the podcast and he had recently spoken to the drummer of Pantera. And he was like, you know, he passed away, but thank God I have this podcast because I get to spend uninterrupted hours with him a few times a year and catch up with all the people in my life. And if nobody listens, who cares? Like, it's just an excuse for me to basically connect with my buddies that I wouldn't have anyway. And I liked that. And that kind of made me push to say, you know what, let me learn a little bit more about some of the people in my life and use that as an excuse. And after the first few men, I just loved it because it's, you know, again, guys at Ceres or, or Longos or people that you see and you talk to them in between rounds. But when you get this and it's just no interruptions for an hour, people I've known for 15 years, I learned more about in an hour and have a stronger bond and a stronger connection with them than I probably ever would have. So just kind of grew from there but that was the initial thing was like let me just start doing it to keep in contact with people and see what they're about so you're in chicago now or in the suburb naperville yeah i'm, I'm outside of uh naperville and then i spent my time between long island and chicago suburbs okay how old are you 41 so we're the same age we're 41 yeah. so you, you remember uh remember you ever remember a place in whenever i hear the word naperville there's a childhood memory of this place called zero gravity that was like this teeny bopper club you remember a place <laughs> called zero gravity it was like you could be 14 to get in and like uh, it was like 14 like 22 it was like this was super popular high school club back in naperville um but so are you a bears fan as well no man I'm, i've only been out in the uh illinois area for a few years now so i'm okay. really like kind of born and raised in new york guy giants or jets Giants. Giants. I guess Giants or Jets, either ones. Uh, you're in the same spot that I am with the Bears. It's just every next <laughs> next season's our perennial uh, season. <laughs> nice. 
Nice, man. So, um, you know, moving on to some of the other stuff you were talking about, I like when you were going into with business stuff and you're talking about how you have an insatiable appetite to learn. And I think that that's interesting because one of the things you did say that I think every entrepreneur struggles with is you have a lot of FOMO of like, hey, you know what, I might miss out on this, but I have to have the discipline to say no to certain things and just accept the fact that I'm going to maybe miss some opportunities, but at the end of the day, I am staying focused on what the goals are. And I, I think that that's a struggle for everybody at some point is, again, you listen to the podcast and you go, do I want to do NFTs? Do I want to do crypto? Do I want to do real estate? Do I want to get into jujitsu? So how do you really weigh out your decision-making for deciding this is a lane or something I'm going to give attention and focus to versus this is something I'm going to pass on? Because that could be something that's a detriment for paralysis by analysis, just for overwhelming options. Yeah, well, I think that... Um where your mind goes and drifts to when you have free time is kind of like your conscious and subconscious telling you like what to focus on. At least for me, it is. So, you know, I've always just been involved in like, I love the crypto space and I love the jujitsu space. And um, you have to be obsessed about it, I think. I think that that's like the, the, if there's a fundamental core value that I see between like the Amazon and the Jeff Bezos's and, and like uh, the, these guys aren't working 40 hours a week, especially in the beginning. They're working 80, 90 hours a week and they're obsessed with it. And it all comes at a cost. Um, I'm reading a book down to Atomic Habits, another great book, and, and it talks about like, you know, like there's, there's, there was that cost, right? Like I want to get in shape at the cost of eating that yummy donut in front of me, you know? It's like I want to go to the gym at cost of spending time with my family. So it's like we have these like scales, right? We, on one hand, we put this is the thing we want. On the other hand, it's like, well, this is what it costs us. And a lot of times we can pretend and we can fool ourselves so easily. Oh, yeah, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to do this. And you really like clock your hours and you're like, man, I've worked four hours a day on this. Not, you know, like you've been working 14 hours a day, you know, put more effort in, double down on what's working and, and pivot. And I think that like, um, you know, as, as we're growing in the podcast, we're, you know, figuring out, I'm a big systems nerd. Like I believe so much in like replicatable systems, make things simple. Like McDonald's is run by geriatrics and high school kids. And the reason they're so successful isn't because they have Harvard MBAs behind the counter. It's because they have the system in place that they can rinse, wash and repeat and push somebody else into it. And if somebody else leaves, so kind of, um, forging and pioneering what those systems are for our podcast has been a little challenging, but it's also helping like in just like in business, like whatever was working, double down on that and what's not you can pivot so we're either doing good or we're learning um so yeah that's awesome man you know on uh your episodes with charlie shrem and i think ronnie moaz i don't know if yeah, moaz. Name yeah you did great great episodes man and i thought it was a lot of really cool takeaways there that i thought the stance on bitcoin and one of the things that he said on it that really stuck out was you know he's like hey it's been like what 10 10 13 years of this out there he's like people forget that it took that long for people to be all in on checks, like, no, oh, I'm not going to take a check. And so when you start to think about like the processes from decades before of all these things that are considered mainstream and normal today, that there was so much resistance on that change initially. And then you look at like what Bitcoin is, the difference on how fast that's going and his 400K plus evaluation today, you had a strategy on your buy and hold. I think you would call it the 80-20-30 rule. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that and what your specific strategy is for Bitcoin investing or for just crypto investing. Well, so um, so just to touch base on like the initial thing, I mean, if you look at the internet, right, I think that's kind of the biggest parallel is the internet's adoption to now. You look back and there's like Katie Couric talking on, I forget what is it, Today Show or something, and she's talking to a producer going, what's this internet? What is the internet? And it's, it's funny to hear that now because who doesn't use the internet? Like who doesn't, I don't have a home cell. I mean like who has a, who has a, or I mean I have a home phone line anymore. Like it's like everyone's got a cell phone. We all, we're technological nerds. And I think that the bigger the wheel is, 
um, the harder it is and the slower it is for it to turn, right? So like when you're talking about something like Bitcoin, which is a disruptor in terms of gold and global economic um, scale, it, there's going to be a lot of friction into that turning wheel because it, it changes everything. The inter international monetary policies, the, the big banks, the world banks, and they, they go, they don't want that to, get, they don't want to slow innovation down, but I think they kind of do on, on some levels. And they just want to be able to kind of harness it. So um, I think that's one of the challenges that uh, that we have in the crypto space is a lack of regulation and um, and things like that. But like if you look at the internet in 1997, we have the same amount of users today in the crypto space that the internet did in 1997, and we're growing four times faster. So to think that technology technology is exponential and it always builds on each other and, and it moves forward. So it's not like we're going to invent the, the digital television, and then suddenly we're going to go. Let's go back to the analog TV, right? Or like we're going to invent the cell phone, and then we're going to get you know we 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 move forward and i think that that this has been a pivotal over the last 18 months <clears throat> time for bitcoin as we've seen um you know and we're still waiting for the sec to uh, approve a spot bitcoin etf so people can invest in the and they actually own the underlying asset um but we're seeing like uh, people kind of acknowledge like okay Bitcoin's a real thing. It's no longer this thing that it's not. It's a new emerging asset class. And like any new emerging asset class, it's going to go through its growing pains. Um, that's why we see these huge pullbacks and stuff. And a big part of that, the, the volatility in Bitcoin is heavily predicated on uh, overly leveraged margin trading. Trading. So like, whereas you know, people are going in and they're doing 10 to, I mean, they, some of these sites are doing 100x leverage, which is fucking insane. And, you know, you, you put in, you get $500,000 in there and you've suddenly got $50 million worth of leverage to blow around. You know, you, you're a $10 million whale and you've got, you know, 100, uh, you know, 100 million or whatever it is, uh, you know, go, or no, 1 million would be 100 million. So like there's, that's why you see all these, these shorts and longs getting liquidated and we have all this like whew, crazy up and down. But if you like zoom back and you look at the whole big picture, Bitcoin's been the best performing asset since its inception in 2009 and bar none. And the returns, um, they diminish year after year, but they're still beating everything by a large margin. So to get into my, uh, my investing strategy, I think that like people are always like, um, you know, they, I talked I talk about crypto since 2016 and then they, they get into crypto and then they, they call me up, uh, as soon as it goes, uh, there's, there's, there's a funny line in, uh, I think it's Wolf of Wall Street where he's like, don't pitch the bitch. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, if, the, if it goes, he's like, if it goes down, they're going to call you once a week. And if God forbid it goes up, they're going to call you every fucking day. And I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of like very, I'm butchering the line, but there's something in there like that. And it, and it's, um, it's very similar because I, the friends that I've got into crypto, they see it go up and they're like, you're a genius. And then as soon as there's a pullback, like I sold all my crypto. Like, why do you, you sell on the way down? It's so, it doesn't make any sense. So what I've said is that, look, you know, like figure out what that, that, um, the, the two things that like I think everybody wants to do is they want to they want to like buy low sell high right and then they want to figure out what's a safe amount they can put in because I've over leveraged myself into crypto where I'm like oh no I, I needed that money to pay bills shit then you're forced to sell with the market and you, you, it's not a sustainable you become a swing trader I don't want to be a swing trader um, so what I did was I said look figure out a way to commit X number of dollars to your crypto portfolio in the macro sense. So let's say that's um, 100 bucks a month. Let's just make it easier. 100 bucks a month into crypto. Out of that $100 a month that you're going to do into crypto automatically, 80, 20, 30. 80% goes into your crypto portfolio. However, you allocate that Bitcoin, altcoins, whatever. 20% goes to the side every month. So that's money that's just saving. 
and you're waiting for a 30% market pullback so that you can then use those additional funds to buy the dip. So you're getting kind of best of the both worlds. You know, we, not these 10% dips, but like the 30% dips, which usually will happen over, you know, a course of a week or two, or you see, hey, it was at all time high and now it's down 30%. There's a lot of good value there. You know, like if an asset was $3,000 and now it's selling on sale for 2000, that's, that's, that's on sale in terms of my, in my perspective. And, and, it hedges risk a little bit. That's not financial advice. I'm not a financial planner. Don't sue me if somebody loses their shirt and says, Chambers told me to fucking do this. So. <laughs> no, that's great, man. You know, and I, I think a couple of the things that you touched on there that are true is, I, I'm going to butcher the line too, but if it, on your, one of your podcasts, they were saying like, hey, if, you, if you're not prepared to hold on to an asset for 10 years, you shouldn't be investing in it for 10 minutes. You're like something along those lines. And I think in real estate and in crypto, it's helped me a lot because if I would have freaked out and sold it when Bitcoin first tanked or some of these properties, the value started getting sketchy, you look at now and almost anybody that I talked to, I was just talking to Chris Wyman about this. And we were like, I don't think anybody that has sold anything in the last few years now is happy that they did it. They're all like, man, if I would have just held on, look where it would have been today. Yeah. So I think some of that discipline of being able to navigate those murky waters when things get tough and not act emotionally to ditch it is a huge, huge component of being able to be a savvy and a, a, an investor that has longevity. And I feel like that's why it translates so well when black belts and guys like you and Chris Weibman and Ally Akinta and all these guys that I talk to go over into the investing space because they don't make these crazy, irrational, emotional decisions when they think it's stressful because they know what real stress is like when there's a guy on top of them, you know, punching their face in front of a million people on TV, how to kind of take a breath and find a way out and like make a, a cool, calm, collected situation. So uh, my question for you would be very similar. If, how much of your background in martial arts and knowing how to navigate stressful situations do you think has helped you make good logical business decisions? Well, I think that there's certain attributes that have carried over from martial arts. Like I think that for you to fight um, like at the UFC level, that there's to get to that point where if someone finally says, oh, I know this guy now because he's fighting in the UFC. You've, you've spent so much blood, sweat and tears in dedication and passion that have come at such a cost of other aspects of your life. So to have the fortitude and dedication and the, the, to, to do something like that, I think those parallel over into other aspects. So it's like when you're, when you're, you know, everybody can, oh, I want to try to be a golfer is a lot different than I'm going to be a professional golfer and the PGA. You have to, you're committing to a certain number of hours and you're the, what you're eating and sleeping, breathing, reading, who you're hanging out with, you're inundating yourself with, with roads to be successful in that avenue. So I think that like from a martial arts perspective, it, it has helped me be more focused on things. Um, you know, so like I got into sales when I was like 18 years old at Bally's because I was uh, needed a job and um, I was as a personal trainer, I was doing martial arts at the time. And, and um, that started kind of my foray with like sales and just knowing like I was a gregarious kid and I could talk to people. So I started reading a bunch of like Zig Ziglar books and Tony Robbins and I really got into sales and did really well. So like that kind of started me down the path of um, reading books on like business and things like that and, and, um, and, and kind of go from there. At one point at, at Apex, my, my joke was... Uh, this was like five years ago when I had uh, that was my main focus was uh, people go where'd you go to college and I said I didn't go to college but everyone that works for me did so it works out it kind of balances <laughs> so so it, uh, yeah but so um yeah yeah I think it's it's um you know I I, I think that uh, it just it, you know guys like, like Chris Weibin and stuff I mean I think that the reason people panic sell is that they they do what they are over leveraged and it's a lack of knowledge the reason I first got into crypto was because I mean like I've always been like um, how can I I've always been kind of a hustle have a hustle mentality and when I first watched uh, I don't know what Bitcoin documentary it was or I'd watched it I was, I was actually um, uh, before I pulled the trigger I was into crypto in 2016 but didn't really get into it more until like 2017 I was at the 
um, I was talking to somebody at the Conor McGregor um, uh, Mayweather fight, and it's a buddy of mine who sold his digital company for like a hundred million dollars um, to to um, to so Travelocity or something back in the day, and he's been in that space. And I was like, you know, is this is this 2017? I was like. Bitcoin, Ethereum, like, is it like hyper, like, as I keep hearing about it, I've been looking at it, he's like, dude, he's like, that's the future. So that kind of started me down the, the, the intense rabbit hole. And the more I learned about Bitcoin, the more I realized that the counter arguments to it were really just a, a lack of due diligence. People really weren't able to make, oh, well, you know, it, you can hack it. Well, not really. I mean, it's very difficult to hack. Um, they, they, maybe quantum attacks could pose an issue, but that's still yet to be determined. Oh, well, uh, you know, there's no value. Well, I mean, why does gold have a value? I mean, besides, yeah, there's some intrinsic use to it, but like, for the most part, we give value to things. I mean, salt was the first commodity people traded with. I mean, the, nobody was like, I had to have all this salt. So um, I think that like, you know, like the more I got into it, the more I realized, wow, this is really, this is really, uh, this has this massive potential to disrupt a huge industry, which is not just the financial sector, but it's, I mean, you're looking now at NFTs and you look at, um, you know, the gaming space. I mean, I think we're on the precipice of a massive shift and change in the digital landscape. I agree with that, man. How do you not get overwhelmed with it though? You know, I, I look at these things and I, I'm, I'm always trying to build my foundations and, and grow and learn. And then there's all this other stuff, like even on jujitsu, you know, it's like, oh, I feel like I'm doing good with my butterfly sweeps and, then I'm watching these guys do buggy chokes and then buggy choke escapes. And, you know, the same thing with, you know, real estate and, and, and crypto. And I feel like I'm getting a hold on this. And then a guy comes on your podcast or Wybit's podcast, and now it's NFTs. And this other jujitsu guy is telling me I shouldn't buy real real estate. I should be investing in sandboxes in the metaverse. And it's like, at one point, you're like, where do I focus? How do I not get overwhelmed with the next thing and figure out what to go on? I watch a lot of people do it with Clubhouse. Everybody went all in on Clubhouse. And then it was, you know, so figuring out really where to do that. Are you still taking bits and pieces of what you learn every podcast and trying to implement certain things or yeah I mean, you know for, like for sure it can be uh it can be a lot because i mean like the crypto space has like back the, I, when i first got into crypto space it was like icos were the big thing and that was like oh ico craze and then it be now it's like nfts now it's becoming the metaverse and there's always going to be that new thing right so it's it's tough i mean i i um I try to get like compartmentalized knowledge. If you ever read the four hour work week, like I, I, I try to go on and like, I'll watch um, videos. Like there's a few YouTubers I follow. So I'll try to keep up with like what's going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. But uh, you know, within my, my own um, admission, like I'm not nearly as savvy with NFTs and metaverse and sandbox. I mean, like I can, I have been pretty lucky on calling good valuations for stuff that I think are going to do it. But I haven't had the time to get in there and really like pull triggers or do things like that. I mean, and that, like another aspect is, you know, the MMA fights. Um, you know, I fought for a long time and I've been, I've been involved in the space. I mean, my first fight was 1997 or 8. And my last fight was in 2008. And people are always assuming because I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu and I still teach still just, just to help out um, Juan Rodriguez at Henslow Gracie Fort Lauderdale on Tuesdays. And I enjoy teaching. Um, they, they assume that I'm, I'm watching all the UFCs and I'm so, I'm like, I, I can't tell you the last UFC I watched, maybe five in the last three years, just because if it's a big fight, it's just, there's just too much to keep up with. And that's why I think you really have to figure out what you're passionate about because there's so much space, right? I mean, we're a digital world. The world's so much more accessible now at our fingertips. So it, and we, we rapidly become an ADD um, seeking culture. That's why one of the things, uh, do you remember VH1's pop-up videos? 
Yeah, yeah. So we started doing that for the podcast now, just to keep it because I know like the the traction is you know analytics, how long someone watches a, a podcast and stuff like that will will be a big determining click through rates, a big deal, and then also how long you're keeping people on your YouTube channel is is another big deal. And um, so we we're messing around with now like trying to pop up video stats, but that's a, that's a fucking ton of work, man. Because you know like we all got to sit there and like make a subject lines, and we got to write down, we got to find random facts about you talked about the word you said the word angels baseball, find angels baseball facts, and then you got to upload them. I mean it's it's a lot of work um but, but that's the thing the reason a lot of people don't do it is that i think that like in anything in life the people that are the most successful are the most passionate period if um if you wanted to work at mcdonald's and you were the most successful you were the most passionate mcdonald's employee ever you walk in you're making your 10 bucks an hour and you're just like fucking i love mcdonald's you learn the corporate culture you hustle you show up you're you know like there's a strong case that says who says you can't be the ceo of mcdonald's in 20 years you know but it might take 20 years it might take 60 hours a week and a lot of people don't want to do that at the cost they want the result but they don't want to put in the work effort and that's um you know i think like we, we we're inundated with the idea that like the four-hour work week and finding our muse and like getting like I'm a, I love residual and passive income, but the idea that we just set it and forget it, Ron Popeil style, it, it's not really applicable. I think that you have to go out there and you have to really like, you, you have to find what you really are passionate about doing. And if if you wrote your check, if someone wrote you a check for a million dollars a year and said, what is it you want to do now for this million dollars? You have to have a very articulated, this is exactly what I want to do and why I want to do it. It shouldn't be the thing that you want to do. It's got to be the thing you can't not do. And I think there's a big differentiating factor. I love that, man. I think you kind of just hit on like the essence of like my podcast continuing that conversation was I always saw those things for the people that I know that are successful today. Like even like I remember Nick Diaz when Matt beat St. Pierre and they were like, are you shocked? And Nick Diaz was like, no. He's like, I've known Matt Sarah forever. And anybody that knew that guy's work ethic and drive would never be surprised that one day he was going to be on top. And I feel like a lot of the most successful people I talk to, it's never a shock because whatever they're doing, whether it's working at McDonald's, on the jujitsu mats or in business, they're always bringing their A game. And that's how they got the opportunities because people recognize that in them. And then they go to the next thing and the next thing. So, you know, the people that just want to hit record and record a podcast or just show up at jujitsu and then be a UFC champion. It's like you said, there, there's a low barrier to entry, but to stick around, the attrition rate is crazy because people see it gets tough or it's a lot harder than just posting a Lamborghini on Instagram and getting a thousand subscribers and they don't want to put the work in. So they go for the next get which rich quick scheme or the, the diet pill that they don't actually have to work out. on. I, I don't know what it is about human nature that people look for that, but I think that there's something to be said for the character you earn when you go through the process of getting your black belt in anything, regardless of it's martial arts or jujitsu or life. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's a, uh you know, we're, I think for a long time, we look for like the quick solution, like the, the, the tip tricks and hacks in life. But like, there's no, there's no substitute for, for just like being passionate about something. And that's something that I even struggled with for a while is like, well, what the hell was I passionate about? Because I was, I loved crypto. I loved jujitsu. I liked MMA, like broadcast. Um, and you know, I have four kids. So it's like that, that also is a huge commitment in terms of time. And like there, there's definitely a sacrifice that comes from like right now I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm not with my family. Right. So, but that's fine. You know, I make these decisions, but there's always, um, there's always like that, that, you know, that thing that comes at a cost. And you just really have to figure out what, at the end of the day, you're passionate about. And I think that's probably the biggest issue is that people, you know, we're, we're conditioned, right? Like we go to school to get a good job, to go to college, to go to college, to get a good job. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about my wife for a second. I think she's okay with this. She went to, she was always told from a young age, you should be an attorney. You should be an attorney. Brilliant woman, beautiful woman, love her to death. But goes to you know, school, goes to law school, is an attorney, 
and just fucking hates her job now. Just hates the stress that it's depressing. She's got three hundred seventy thousand dollars in law school debt, and she's a great fucking attorney. Like, wins, has won all these awards and stuff. But like, happiness factor is so 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 key, you know. Like, and and I think that's the people we chase the idea of money, but it's really time. Time is the irreplaceable commodity. You can always make more money. You know, fuck. You look at the government. I think it's like eighty percent of the dollars printed were in the last twenty four months. It's fucking insane in circulation. You can always make more money. It's it's the time that we don't really have and that's really what at the end of the day like even myself I find myself chasing okay well I got to here financially I want to get to here and then, then the next thing will be this and like how many cars is enough how big of a house do you need at the end of the day like it's about like I'm not going to be on my deathbed and look back and be like oh remember like I have all these things I want to look back and think about all the great memories I had and I think that Spending time investing in those things was infinitely more important, and finding that thing you're passionate about is uh, the way to make that uh, come to fruition. Agreement. I think the fulfillment factor versus the achievement factor is something that people don't understand as much, and I think you just hit it on the head. And it, it transitions really well because when I heard you talking about the new movie "Ask Me to Dance" that you have coming out, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I remember you saying that the the good choices you've made on the investment side have allowed you to now go chase your passions and it kind of freed up that time to go, you know what, let me go look into acting again. And I'm, I'm always big on that of, you know, real estate, you know, it's, it's a, a big part of me and my business and maybe real estate's not the thing, maybe crypto's not the thing, but it is a great way that's known across the board now that you can achieve something and then go chase what you want for your fulfillment side of it. Because I mean, if you're behind a desk or in a cubicle for, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, it, you burn out it gets very hard to go chase your dreams. But I feel like doing the things we've done and making the sacrifices to learn and invest and take some of those calculated risks really opens up that whole window of being able to find the things in life that really get you going. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that like the, the way that Ask Me to Dance came about was um, I have a dear friend of mine, Tom Malloy, who um, has produced a bunch of movies. He literally wrote the book. He's one of my first podcast guests. He literally wrote the book on independent film financing called Bankroll. And uh, he's raised uh, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars um, for independent films and produced and stuff. And he's always, he's a very funny guy. And he, he wrote this comedy. And it was, um, he's written other movies too, but this is the first one he like wrote the comedy. This was his first time directing and wanted to produce it. And then on the other side, uh, I had met Charlie Sherem and just um, become friends with Charlie. And through the course of that dialogue, I had realized Charlie's wife was an aspiring actress. And he said, oh, man, if there's ever an opportunity to invest in a film for her, you know, I'd totally be down for that. So I, I just kind of, um, you know, like was the middleman there to, to put those two guys together. And then as part of that, like it, it helped me leverage those relationships. And I think it creates like a win-win-win scenario. You know, I think that that's like um, you can... Uh, you know, you can skin a, sh you can shear a sheep many times. You can only skin it once. I think that like a lot of people go in and they try to like get as much as they can. But I think like if you can approach it and everybody wins, right? Like Tom wins, I win, Charlie wins, his wife wins. Hopefully, Charlie wins and makes money back and brought his investors in. But um, you know, movie movie business is a, is a fickle business, man. It's 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 a it's a tough it's a tough biz, and that's probably the the easiest business to be um, just lackadaisical in because. You know, from an audition perspective, like people see all these, you know, people, it's so sexy to see like, um, you know, the, the Halle Berry's or the, you know, the, uh, what's the guy that plays Thor? Oh, fuck. Chris Hemsworth on TV. Yeah, the Chris Hemsworth on TV. And we see like the lifestyle and, you know, we don't have royalty in this country. So the rock stars, the movie stars, they're our royalty. They're the ones that the kids look up to as, oh, you know, the sports athletes. But like a lot of times they're, they're chasing the end mean, right? And like um, that's kind of the thing too that I, I have slowly come to understand about myself is that like I think I was, I was never necessarily passionate about acting. 
I think I was more passionate about like what the acting meant, which would be like, hey, like I got picked on in grammar school, so like I always wanted to be accepted by people and like be liked. So I felt like, oh, that was a conduit to an end. And I think that that I, I realized I was doing myself a disservice because like I wasn't actually like, if if, if you want to be a writer, you got to go fucking write. Being an actor, like I was never like, let me just do a bunch of acting. Like I always was diligent because I was. Um, you know, like a martial artist, like I was always in classes and I was doing my work, but in terms of taking the extra 10% of doing more things and the things that are needed to be successful in that space, truly successful, outside of just waiting for the audition, putting in your work, and it's discouraging, you know, you go on fucking 400 auditions before you book something, um, and then you, you'll end up losing money because if you pay everybody in the gas, you know, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that like, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what a full circle has led me to the podcasting is that I, I do like I'm very passionate about talking to people and I love learning about like, um, you know, business and how people build empires and like, you know, the seeing the parallels and I have an inquisitive mind, I think by nature. And, um, yeah, so that's, I think it's really been, it's been so far so good. I love that, man. And, you know, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Callen, mm. I, I love hearing his tale of that too, because he is a guy that's been around that industry for decades and decades and decades. And look at what wound up being the thing that really was the catalyst now was the podcast, which, you know, when he first started and people were like podcast dude like what are you doing you're an idiot you're not going to do that yeah and then look at like where it's been but you know it's it's the same bumps and bruises that you see like on the mats that you take in business and just stick around and he reinvents himself and he's out there doing new things so i respect all that for sure man and i, I think you nailed it with that and uh transitioning a little bit from crypto I, I haven't heard a lot about your real estate journey but i know you said you did have some real estate investments and stuff what is what, what are you doing on the real estate side uh, we're gonna have to cut all that out because i'm in court on the real estate stuff so <laughs> ah, no worries <laughs> man we're, so uh back to the crypto <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll go right into martial arts so transitioning out of that one of the things that uh you know i i, I tried to hold off until the end because i knew i was going to geek out hard on it but going into just mma and jiu-jitsu and all the stuff on human weapon man i i, I love that i could talk for days and uh, i loved your interview with gary tone and i had him on mine and some of these guys that I, I love the fact that they're coming on podcasts and talking because i feel like the old cliche that the these fighters are just meatheads is so far gone when you hear how deep into like just emotion and self-awareness the guys like the Gary Tonins of the world are. I think it's amazing now, but I love to hear being a guy that's trained under somebody so amazing as Henzo Gracie and then somebody so innovative as uh, as Eddie Bravo, it used to be, you know, kind of a, a something you couldn't do. You couldn't do the 10th Planet thing and the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu thing. So I'd love to hear your take on just MMA and Jiu-Jitsu the way it is today versus when you were coming up in like 1998. Yeah, so when I first started training, it was, I mean, the landscape was, was a, a desolate, barren area. I mean, if you look, if you, if you envisioned the, the, the BJJ community, it was an old Western with the tumbleweed going, <laughs> like there was no, not a lot of guys around. Um, I remember my first, so the, the way that I started doing jujitsu was um, a friend of mine, Sean Terrence, who's one of my best friends. He had learned some jujitsu from a guy who had went to a Hicks and Gracie seminar in like 1994, 93, 94. And, I, and he, so he'd come over and we would like put a piece of carpet in our front yard and he was showing me some like rudimentary arm bars, triangles, very, very basic stuff. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it was just very linear, very like solid old school jujitsu. And then from there I was able to get into a JKD school. So 
like I have an instructorship in Jeet Kune Do and um, you know, so they, that those classes were kind of um, my first foray into mixed martial arts because they were 90 minutes and the first you'd have like 30 minutes where it was um, gi, gi jiu-jitsu then you'd have um, you know 30 minutes of kickboxing and then there would be like trapping or stick fighting but for the most part outside of having like a strong wrestling base it was very it, it, it encompassed a lot of um, um, uh, of areas of attack and, and range so um the uh that's kind of how i initially got into it but the main thing is i was at a hensel gracie seminar i think in 1996 and you go to a seminar now and there's no shortage of black belts teaching seminars and there's dozens of people and we were in kankakee and there was like two blue belts one purple belt who was literally from brazil and then 70 white belts i mean there was no, <laughs> that's how new jujitsu was i mean like we you'd watch these blue belts roll and you felt like that was like watching like the mundials now you're like oh they and like looking back their technique was probably so shitty because you know iron sharpens iron and as there's more eyes on on um you know the, the communal knowledge the, the more eyes are on jujitsu the more people that can innovate jujitsu and jujitsu is i think an outlier in terms of martial arts because it very much is, and you've heard of this before, right? It parallels chess. It's like the, it's like a chess game, and it really is. And I think that at the highest level, some of the guys that are the best jujitsu practitioners are really, really, really intelligent, um, intelligent guys, because you have to be able to to adapt and and grow and learn this seemingly just when you think there can't possibly be a different move. Because I've been doing this for 30, 25 years, you see something else, and you're like, Jesus, that's freaking insane. And um, so a lot of the guys, like the Gary Tonins and, and um, the high-level guys, John Danaher's, you know, they're, they're really smart guys. Um, getting into fighting is, 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 is a weird mix because now it's, it's, I think, the first time that people can actually say, all right, this is a viable career path. Uh, when I was fighting, I mean, you were making a couple hundred bucks if you were getting paid at all to fight. And um, I had a, a contract to fight on the Hoist Gracie Matt Hughes card. I finally got like my UFC break. I was supposed to fight Spencer Fisher at UFC 60. So I finally make the break, right? And like the pay back then was two and two, uh, four and four, six and six, eight and eight. So like two thousand a show, two thousand if you lost, two thousand if you more if you won. So like even if you fought three times a year and you won every one, like quick math, two two four, so was that uh, six, uh, twelve, twenty, maybe like like twenty four thousand dollars if you won your first three fights in the UFC. That's why you, you we'd see these guys. Like I use Rich Franklin as an example. Like he'd come out to defend his his middleweight belt, and it would be he's, he's also a school teacher. Like <laughs> people have the jobs, so I think we're just starting to get to the point now where that's a that becomes a viable career path. And I think because of that, that that's pushing out some of the, more of the like the meathead tough guys that just wanted to be tough fighters and stuff. And we're seeing guys that you have to be you can't just be good in one area anymore to succeed in the UFC. You have to be a great wrestler. You have to be a great striker. You have to be a great jujitsu person. And and on top of that, you have to be an athlete. You know, before, I mean, let, let's be, let's call a spade a spade. Hoist Gracie is not by any stretch of the imagination a specimen of a man. He was not, when he fought in the UFC, an athletic, like, uh, athletically prowess beyond any, you know, be like he wasn't Black Panther by a stretch of the imagination. But he was really good at one thing. Ken Shamrock was a freak athlete um, and um, probably had a little help from every other injectable under the sun. But, um, but, you know, like he was an athletic specimen. So I think that, like, we saw at that time, the evolution of martial arts, which was like, it was very much stylistically, right? Like my style is better than your style. And even nowadays, I, I kind of, I roll my eyes when I see like the lower third chirons of MMA events and they have like a, he's a, he's a striker. He, he does, he's a street fighter. I'm like, everyone cross trains now. You, you, it's hard to be like pigeon held into being just a linear martial artist. So 
Um, but yeah, the sport's growing. I mean, I think that like the big shift we're seeing, I think, is that we're getting less and less gi action and more and more no gi action. Now, you know, you've got uh, BJJ fanatics, um, you know, pumping out videos and guys are making money and the ADCCs and guys like Gordon Ryan in social media. I just missed the social media curve when Human Weapon was on. We, it was like 2007, eight, and it wasn't until like 2009, like Twitter really started hitting and then Instagram a few years later. But, um, you know, it's given everyone a, a, a great platform to really market their, their, their self themselves and, and to, to grow. Yeah, man, I, it breaks my heart sometimes because some of the guys that I, you know, trained with for years, you know, I remember like P. Drago himself specifically, mm. the guy said some of the most legendary fights, man, and he was just a little bit too early that you really couldn't make money doing it. But fighting like he fought, if those fights were now, he'd be getting fifty to $75,000 performance of the night's checks all the time and his life's totally different. Yeah. But people forget that the, you know, guys like you, guys like Matt Serra, guys like P. Drago Cell paved the way taking all those beatings and beating up their body, fighting for nothing and like the local shows to get that shot and then to still make nothing there. And I think you know, transitioning to human weapon is another great example because there's variations that have come from there, but you were really the original as far as I remember. And I feel like if that show was on today, it would probably be the biggest show on TV. And it did, did really well then. I don't want to discourage that at all. But, you know, the, the thing that was attractive for UFC was everybody wanted to see all the different disciplines, which... You know, people don't really only know about the core four or five, but that's what attracted it to him. Whereas your whole show is really based on going out and testing all those. So I feel like nobody really has a better knowledge of what martial arts actually work for a practical fight situation than you. So I'd love to hear based on your experience there. You know, you got a kid. I get the calls all the time. Hey, my kid wants to get into something. What do you suggest he starts with? What would your answer be? Um, mine probably would be wrestling. I think for a multitude of factors. I think that it it um, it's easily accessible. Um, it's not something that you have to worry about your, your four-year-old getting punched in the face. And, um, and I think that, that wrestling not only teaches drive and work ethic and, and if you can take that mentality that a wrestler has, that's ingrained in them with the sweat and the working out and the lifting, and then you can like cut your teeth on that, that's going to play parallels to a bunch of different other martial arts down the road. So I think wrestling would be the first thing. And also just from a, an academic point of view, it, it, it's, I think it's fundamentally the, the best because you can dictate where a fight happens. You can take someone down, you can stand up, you know how to sprawl, things like that. After that, I would probably say jujitsu, and then third would be boxing um, from a safety perspective. So, but it really depends. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the things that I had uh, the epiphany of when I when I was doing Human Weapon was that I kind of went with this this arrogant attitude that we know what works as a martial art and what doesn't work as a martial art because we've seen the UFCs, you know, like there's a yeah there's the outliers, a couple of guys like you know uh, uh, Luazu who did the Taekwondo or GSP or um, 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 uh, Leota Machida, who did karate. But for the most part, everyone's like, all right, you're going to wrestle, you're going to do jiu-jitsu, and you're going to do Muay Thai, right? And you're going to train these three disciplines pretty pretty much um, you know, autonomously of each other and then also together as, as an MMA unit. But then you, you realize, well, that's still just within the parameters of being in a cage with five men around and with gloves on and, and in the parameters of you can't do X, Y, and Z, and you don't have to worry about knives protecting your family getting out of a situation and things like that so from a practical point of view when people ask me like what do you think of this martial art what do you think of that i'm like ah, oh, it's always such a loaded question i had someone message me and ask me about taekwondo and what do you think about taekwondo and i you know it's it's never a short answer for me because there's pros and cons to every martial art and i think it's it's like dating 
you know, you, you find the fit that's right for you. And sometimes you, f- you date something for a few months. And you're like, I thought this was right. And it's, this, this doesn't fit for me. Or sometimes it fits for that part of your life. And then you go on to something different. And, and then this is the new thing. Um, as I get older too, like jujitsu, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, you wears and tears on you. Like I'm starting to feel the joint injuries and stuff like that and getting wrenched on and stuff like that. But, um, but, um, yeah. I love that, man. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because you talk about the beatings that your body takes over the years. And for anybody listening, you want some, some interesting advice on crypto and stuff. Definitely check out those two episodes on your podcast, but also you can go on and I just bought the whole season of human weapon on Apple TV. So hopefully you're getting a, a, a cut of that, but yeah, um, not, not so much. Oh, sorry. <laughs> not in. so much. No, yeah. Surprisingly, out of all the episodes that were on there, it looked like from the you know what television had on there that you guys both took the most damage in the Taekwondo episode, which was not what I would have expected. Um, I think that the 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 Taekwondo. Oh yeah, the Taekwondo episode. Yes, hundred percent. I thought I'm thinking Muay Thai. Yeah, absolutely, the Taekwondo episode, and, and I think that was the episode I was the most worried about mainly because they're they're so fast and everything that they're throwing is a kick at the head. So you only have to be wrong, meaning like you missed blocking it or you didn't get, catch it literally or phys- or metaphorically um, one time and you're going to see stars, which is I think readily apparent in Bill Duff, 6'4", 6'5", 280 pound guy, big guy, small Korean, you know, um, uh, taekwondo master, maybe 135 pounds dripping wet, just boop, right on the right on the <coughs> dot, and just just pancaked Bill, and I was like, now I gotta go next. And then me, mine was really my own. Um, you know, one thing I was I was telling myself the whole time was hands up, hands up, hands up. I was around cornerman, but um, the, my my knee, which is uh, to this day, I, I've tore my ACL and meniscus uh, in my right knee. I tried to do a cool like jumping spin kick to see if that would be fun, and I just came down and just snapped my my ACL, and and I think I still hold to this day the record for the most curse words dropped in a, on the history channel at one time <laughs> you watch an episode it's just this beep and you say beep okay. all right i'm gonna go back beep out there and just beep, beep this beep and i was like oh my god so was, so that was fun I, oh. it's cool man that, that was a great series and a great episode it reminds me too like uh, you, you probably have a great conversation on your podcast with ray longo because i'll walk in uh, into his gym and he started out as a jkd guy like in between the the muay thai sessions or the jiu-jitsu sessions he's in there doing night fighting with guys doing the cali sticks like doing all that old stuff so it's cool to watch like martial artists not just the guys that are coming through that like now you're having people that are coming up as mixed martial artists so i just think it's a it's really cool and i thought it was very interesting and very entertaining and i appreciate you putting your uh, your body and and your time and your your clock because i'm sure that was crazy going to all those different places man but i enjoy watching it so thanks for doing that yeah no I, I i can't complain it was fun man i get to travel the world on someone else's dime it's like a, it's like it's like being a you know you're a kid in a candy store i mean i grew up watching uh you know the the old um Delta Force movies and all the Chuck Norris and the, um, you know, the Karate Kid movies and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, like, we, I was very inundated with with the martial arts culture growing up, right? Like, how cool it was. And then to be able to go around the world and study with, like, the literally the best people in every martial art. Um, you know, were there things that if I produced the show, I would have done differently? Absolutely. Or were there things towards the end of the show that I think we would could have done better in the beginning? Absolutely. But, like... Come on, like it was such a great experience. You know, I can't ever really talk shit about it. And Bill and I are, are dear friends to this day too. We talk every week. 
That's awesome, man. Well, you've been very generous with your time, man. I could talk to you all day about podcasting, business, investing, crypto, and definitely about it. MMA and jiu-jitsu, man. But uh, how do people find you? Talk about where people find your podcast. How do they link up with you? What do you got going on? What's coming up in the future? Yeah, so I'm 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 terribly easy to find if you just like type <laughs> in Google uh, my name. And um, so yeah, the the podcast is on YouTube, the Jason Chambers podcast, and that just sounds so asinine because we couldn't think of another name for it. But um, the Jason Chambers podcast, we uh, release episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays in the crypto sports, entertainment. Um, basically, if it's someone that I think is interesting and there's some value there, we're going to talk to them. And then on my Instagram all the time, the DJs and Chambers. And I finally got that blue check mark, which was so important, man. A year, I was like, that was a big win for me getting that blue check mark. I was like, ah, I have validation by no one. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, I am really enjoying your podcast. I, I'll put show links to all your social media and obviously to your podcast on here. Oh, cool. I highly recommend everybody check it out because you have great guests. You're a great host and it, it's just really good, inspiring and entertaining conversations, man. So any final thoughts before we let you go today? Oh, I'm just still in a in a haze about my bears getting blown out by Green Bay Packers. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> no, I don't think I have anything. We covered a lot of base, man. Thanks for having me on and taking the time. I appreciate you coming on, man, and sharing your expertise and your knowledge. It's been a real pleasure for me. Thank you. You bring your A-game podcast, my friend. Have a great day. We look forward to seeing you again. Jason Chambers. Thanks, Dick. Take it easy.